very good Thursday and welcome to the My Ag Life Daily News Report. I'm your host, Lori Boyer. In today's show, Taylor Charleston will have a report discussing a case study that looked into landowner decisions, including those with agricultural land, regarding implementation of solar electricity. And I'll have a look at regional and national agricultural news, beginning with regional ag news right after this. Do you know the nutrient use efficiency people? Yes, I'm talking about the folks at Verdesian Life Sciences that deliver crop insights and solutions so California crops grow to their full potential. From micros with a proprietary delivery system to solutions that help improve the uptake and assimilation of applied nutrients. Visit VLSCI.com to learn more about Verdesian solutions or to connect with a local representative right here in California. The California Department of Food and Agriculture's Fertilizer Research and Education Program is now accepting pre-proposals for the 2023 cycle of the FREP grant program. If a pre-proposal is selected to advance in an evaluation process, a full proposal will be requested later. FREP's annual competitive grant program funds research, demonstration, outreach, and education projects that advance environmentally safe and agronomically sound fertilization and irrigation practices and minimize environmental impacts of fertilizing materials. The 20 2023 request for a proposal includes several initiatives to help effectively manage irrigation water and fertilizing materials in California agriculture. California's agricultural communities are diverse and many have historically lacked access to resources and information needed to successfully run their businesses. Thus, CDFA encourages projects that include demonstrable benefits for underserved farmers and farm workers. This year's priorities include outreach, education, and demonstration projects focused on increasing the adoption of efficient nutrient and irrigation management practices and technologies, evaluating challenges and barriers to adoption of management practices, the role of organic input materials and soil nutrient management, demonstrating and or validating management practices that optimize nutrient and or irrigation water use, filling knowledge gaps for nutrient and irrigation management in specific crops, understanding nutrient movement from the root zone, and mitigation strategies to reduce nutrient losses. Applicants are invited to submit two-page proposals to FREP by Monday, December 19th. Pre-proposals should be aligned with at least one of the identified priority research areas. Further information on the 2023 FREP grant program, RFP, including timelines, application criteria, and priority research areas are available on the program webpage, which is located on the CDFA website. All pre-proposals will be reviewed by the Fertilizer Inspection Advisory Board's Technical Advisory Subcommittee. Applicants whose pre-proposals are selected by task will be invited to develop full proposals. North America's leading distributor and marketer of fresh produce, ProAct USA, a strategic sourcing international company, is pleased to announce the addition of Richard Hall, Executive Vice President of Sales and Marketing, to the team. In his role as EVP, Hall will guide the sales and marketing teams, leading the company's strategic efforts to foster sales and marketing approaches that broaden ProAct's opportunities and deepen customer relationships. Hall brings a wealth of experience to ProAct, including the leadership of national sales teams, marketing plan, execution, distribution management, and operational excellence. All his experience has been centered around distribution with food service at the forefront. Close to 20 years of Hall's career was spent with Cisco Foods, where he earned several promotions and was ultimately part of the executive leadership team. His most recent role included leading the nation's largest senior living food service GPO through the COVID-19 crisis. ProAct is headquartered in Monterey, California. 
United Robotics Group, with global offices in Bochum, Germany, and Paris, France, opens its North American subsidiary based in Los Angeles, California, and is simultaneously launching a future of human-robot collaboration with Cobia X. Cobia X Robotics Solutions not only introduced a new era of robotics, but altogether bring an innovative approach to the market, encompassing the principle that the human-robot relationship should focus on the human. Cobia X is Robots for Humans. The first generation of robots, classic large industrial robots, were programmed to work independently from humans. With the second generation, small, lightweight cobots in collaboration with humans was possible. With Cobia X, they are completely revolutionizing the way that humans interact with robots, allowing humans to focus on highly valued human interaction while ensuring a safe environment, according to Thomas Hahn, founder of United Robotics Group. The company officially registered its presence in September this year, opening United Robotics Group Americas Incorporated, headquartered once again in Los Angeles, and headed by its CEO, Corwin Carson. Operating as a subsidiary of United Robotics Group, GMBH, the Americas Group provides key access to the North American markets for robotics, service, and support for the company's growing global customer base and connects European and North American engineering and technology experts. The eight companies that have merged under the United Robotics Group umbrella each bring products, services, software, or integrative solutions and will be representative by the Americas Group. This includes U.S.-based resources for solutions development integration, and production capabilities. United Robotics Group Americas Incorporated will offer Cobia X solutions both for purchase and with simple, innovative, and aligned robot-as-a-service pricing model. Casey Hooling, former owner of Hooling's Tomatoes in Camarillo, California, is being sued by the California Agricultural Network, a collection of self-insured employers in the agriculture industry. They claim that Hooling left the insurance network while owing more than $3 million in workers' compensation claims. Can was found as a nonprofit in 2004. Hooling's Nurseries in Oxnard became a member of the network in 2006 and stayed on until October of 2021. The lawsuit also claims that Hooling was engaged in extreme self-favoritism when his company sold the 160-acre greenhouse gas property to a cannabis grower last year for roughly $93 million. Hooling shared that while he was involved in a sale of the property, he was not involved in the laying off of the workforce, workers' compensation claims, or any other operational matters. Hooling's closed its tomato and cucumber operation and began laying off its 486 employees in August of 2021 after cannabis grower Glasshouse agreed to buy the property. According to the lawsuit from Ken, more than 100 of those employees filed workers' compensation claims after being laid off. Because Howling's Nurseries in Oxnard had ceased its membership with Ken by the time of those claims, the insurance network says it was left to pay the claims, which totaled more than $3 million. Since leaving Ken and selling the facility, Howling has started a new company to form to farm tomatoes in the greenhouse sold to Glasshouse, according to the lawsuit. That company, Howling's Camarillo, has hired back many of the laid-off employees, according to the lawsuit. Can is seeking compensation damages plus interest on a $3 million that it says it had to pay in claims, as well as punitive damages. Bee Hero is the leading almond pollination provider. We deliver measurable and verifiable pollination outcomes for almond growers and turn a previously unquantified fingers crossed gamble into a controllable expenditure. For the first time, growers can know exactly what they are getting for their money during pollination. Bee Hero accurately evaluates your bee's pollination contribution in real time and gives you unprecedented visibility into the progress of bloom. 
Don't leave pollination to chance. Be sure. Be precise. Be hero. Call Charlie Phillips, VP of Sales at 559-467-9699. Be hero. Superior bees. Superior pollination. Mitigating the predicted impacts of climate change requires rapid expansion of renewable energy production, including utility-scale solar energy, on an unprecedented scale. In the United States, a significant share of planned USSE targets working lands, particularly farms and ranches, yet the decision factors informing private landowners' decisions to host USSE on their lands are little understood. A team of Stanford researchers addressed this gap in new research and spoke to 60 farmers and ranchers within the San Joaquin Valley and the San Francisco Bay Area. Nicole Buckley-Biggs, one of these researchers, said that knowing the preferences of ag landowners regarding solar plans is crucial. Looking at the past research that had been done on utility-scale solar arrays, so we're talking large-scale solar arrays, uh, grid-tied, one megawatt or bigger, maybe powering 750, 1,000 homes or more, um, so large-scale solar. And um, most of the previous studies on the topic of where solar should go and what it should look like, they were kind of based on models um, or surveys. So, for instance, people have um, they've taken data like where there's valuable wildlife habitat and um, where there's different types of agriculture and then intersected those different map layers to say, well, where can we put solar so that it avoids those things, right? And it's highlighted um, a, a fair amount of, of land to be used in the future for producing renewable energy. And the purpose of that is to answer the question, how do we get to, say, California state goal of 100% renewable electricity by 2045? Not so far out. How are we going to get there? Where's the solar going to go? And those studies were really important and there's also a gap in the research where nobody had really sat down at the table with farmers and ranchers to ask them what they thought about it. And I think the reason that's concerning is because almost half of the area that had been highlighted by previous research to host utility-scale solar was private working land. So these are cropland, farmland, rangeland, grazing land. Um, and we didn't really have a good sense of the perspective of those landowners. And the land stewards, the people who will ultimately make the decision. How could it benefit them? What would be the cost? What's their perspective on, on that opportunity? So as a social scientist, I was excited to dig into that. I had a lot of help um, from folks across the ag industry to reach out to farmers and ranchers um, in both the San Joaquin Valley in California and then also in the San Francisco Bay Area. Just, I tried to capture some perspectives of folks in more peri-urban kind of rangeland settings in the San Francisco Bay Area, and then those doing a variety of types of agriculture across the counties in the San Joaquin Valley. Unsurprisingly, some of the first movers on solar energy in the ag industry are farmers that have large energy bills to take care of. Those who have a lot of groundwater pumping or drip irrigation, um, processing operations, like um, those that are doing shelling of almonds or processing tomatoes, and all of those have high energy bills, and so installing a solar array can really help to mitigate those costs that they're dealing with um, on farms. And so I, we interviewed a variety of, of farmers and ranchers, some of whom had done solar already on their properties and others who hadn't. 
um, those who had had experience with solar, I think three quarters of them were interested in doing more and expanding. So they had a pretty strong experience and, and interest in that, um, continuing that, that part of their business. Um, one of the big benefits for them they're seeing is that a lot of agriculture income is volatile year to year. It can be very seasonal. It can be deferred, you know, with long periods between harvest and when you're actually paid for your crops. And that's in contrast to solar where you have a pretty regular payment that could be, say, through a contract with a solar company. And so diversifying your ag income with something like solar is, is really beneficial to a variety of operations that are dealing with that volatility in agriculture. You know, just another part of their portfolio with a really different type of payment um, scheme. The information gained from hearing the preferences of ag landowners can be used to inform more optimal state land use planning for solar projects in the future that are more advantageous to the farmer. Optimal areas for future USSE development include farmlands for declining water availability, lands without permanent crops or high amenity value, and regions with energy-intensive agricultural operations. Solar is basically competing with water. And that's true in California because, largely because of the California Sustainable Groundwater Management Act or SIGMA. That's significantly restraining farmers' access to water um, over time as the state's trying to rein in some of the overdrafting issues of, of groundwater that have been taking place. And so as farmers are seeing you know, reductions in their water allocations, they're having to make decisions around where they'll use that water and for what. So a lot of them are pulling out their row crops, reallocating water that would have been previously used for row crops to their higher value permanent crops, like their nut trees, for instance, that they have a you know, fixed cost investment in and, and will be paying off over time. And then on the, the, the now fallowed lands, that suddenly opens up this opportunity for farmers to, instead of doing a row crop or having fallowed land, they can now put in a solar array that can be quite lucrative, you know, depending on where you are. So, in a sense, following a farmland because of those water constraints is actually opening up opportunities for solar to go into those areas. So we're, we're seeing that all over, particularly in the Westland Water District and, and elsewhere in the San Joaquin Valley. That's really the dynamic happening there. And so I think a, a takeaway from that for solar planning at the state level or even the regional level is build, building in groundwater models and surface water models into the future, considering the impacts of climate change as well as policy. Where will there not be water in the future that we have today, and can we use those areas for um, solar? Now, an alternative consideration, and we do have kind of a competing policy in California, is where do we want to do habitat restoration? There is an incentive program at the state level now that is going to be paying farmers to do habitat restoration it's kind of a, 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 with an annual rental payment. But you know, farmers, when it comes down to it, they're going to be making a decision about what they want that land to look like. And some farmers felt really strongly, I'd rather provide habitat than electricity. And so they're going to go for that kind of a, a habitat restoration program. I think the majority of those that we spoke with really will make a decision based on profit. What, what can they make the most profit from through these, these different opportunities. And uh, I think that's a really interesting dynamic for those that are kind of at the state level, trying to achieve both habitat biodiversity conservation goals as well as renewable energy at the same time, while ideally maintaining our ability to produce the amount of food that the San Joaquin Valley has been 
producing in the past. San Francisco Bay Area is a little bit different. There's a lot more concern about view shed, about protecting rangelands, um, higher property values. So I think it's, it's a bit more difficult for solar developers in that region to um, to really find land and, and build those utility-scale solar arrays. So a lot of the progress has been made in the San Joaquin Valley. There's giant potential sleeping in your soil. Under drought conditions, it's never been more important to wake it up. Phycoterra, a superior soil microbial food, activates the native microbes responsible for your soil's health and water-holding capacity. Adding Phycoterra to your crop increases water retention up to 10% and optimizes crop nutrient availability. Plus, it delivers excellent mixability and application flexibility, making it easy to add to your existing crop input strategy. Visit phycoterra.com learn how you can wake up your soil's giant potential with phycoterra. USDA and the U.S. Agency for International Development are leading efforts to implement a new strategy to increase research and development of world food security improvements. USDA Ag News reporter Rod Bain. The power of food and agricultural research to address issues of global hunger and malnutrition. Perhaps it has been a no greater display than in a time when several conceded defeat in the battle to feed a growing world population. That according to the administrator of the U.S. Agency for International Development, Samantha Power. We should remember that Norman Borlaug also faced a bleak forecast when he first began his work. In the late 1960s, when the global population had exploded, increasing by a billion people in less than four decades, many predicted the onset of global famine. After years of research, Borlaug, along with other researchers and institutes working on similar efforts, created new strains of staple grains like wheat and rice that help bring about significant food production increases across Asia and Latin America. The administrator's comments coming incidentally at the 2022 edition of the International Dialogue established by and named for Borlaug, founder of the World Food Prize and dubbed the father of the Green Revolution for his research efforts. Now, with a global population facing almost 10 billion people by the year 2050 and several food security challenges at hand in the present, Administrator Power says the time is now to develop a path out of the darkness, a path that the creator of the World Food Prize himself helped illuminate. So with that came the announcement during World Food Prize Week. I'm pleased to announce the Global Food Security Research Strategy, jointly led by USAID and the U.S. Department of Agriculture and other federal partners who engage on it. Its purpose? To use our nation's agriculture and food systems research capabilities to address food security issues around the world. The strategy provides a roadmap for investments and research one developed in partnership with development organizations, universities, federal research agencies, and researchers in the communities themselves around the globe. The strategy focuses on three areas. Genetic improvements of crops and livestock, climate-smart agriculture, and improved nutrition. And the USAID administrator says the partnership with USDA will be a key in fostering innovations of food production and sustainability globally and transferring that knowledge into practical application. Making sure that we are optimizing in terms of our reach. I'm Rod Bain reporting for the U.S. Department of Agriculture in Washington, D.C. 
Farmers harvesting their crops this year are having some challenges getting their commodities to export markets. Andrew Walmsley, American Farm Bureau Federation Senior Director of Government Affairs, says farmers are seeing complications on multiple fronts. You have truck transportation where we're seeing challenges with labor availability and high diesel prices. You've then got the waterways challenged with very low water levels that's restricting movement of grain. And then we've had service issues with rail, just generally with the railroads and some of the service matrix. But then a lot of uncertainty interjected now with the potential of a strike as we do not have an agreement between the labor unions and the railroads. However, Walmsley says a potential railroad strike is one of the things that can be avoided. When you look at the rivers, we can pray for rain. We also appreciate everything that the Army Corps of Engineers doing to keep the river flowing as much as possible. But one we can avoid is the potential of a strike or lockout between the labor unions and the railroads. The rail network is critical to moving bulk goods in this country, particularly this time of year with harvest and then also prepositioning through the spring for critical input. Wamsley says AFBF is encouraging lawmakers to be proactive. What we are encouraging, over 300 groups last week sent a letter to the president encouraging the administration to stay engaged. From an ag sector, we're encouraging Congress to take action here sooner rather than later if the unions and the railroads can't reach an agreement. Once again, Andrew Wamsley, AFBF Senior Director of Government Relations. And with drought choking commerce on the Mississippi River, a group of mayors along the river is proposing a list of policy recommendations, including paying farmers for voluntarily rotating acreage out of irrigation during droughts. Jim Strickland, mayor of Memphis, Tennessee, and co-chair of the Memphis River Cities and Towns Initiative, said on a call recently with reporters that in 35 years he has never seen a river so low. They have all these tools at their disposal for flood, but very few for droughts. Barge traffic is moving on the river, but it continues to become more restricted. Barge traffic is moving on a river, but it continues to become more restricted. Sponsored by the California Walnut Boarding Commission. Supporting the industry with on-farm innovation through production research, advocacy for government programs, and driving consumer demand. Doing more together. JCS Marketing is your number one way to connect with the ag industry. Through print magazines, digital media, podcast and live and virtual events jcs marketing has the reach to inform educate and influence growers in the western united states everywhere you go you see west coast net magazine on every one of my customers tables so that tells you everything that's that it's there so they're reading our my ag life platform includes podcast interviews and digital articles for busy professionals on the go Our live events, continuing education webinars, and virtual conferences help growers connect with leading researchers and industry leaders. Let JCS Marketing help you connect. That will wrap up today's show. You've been listening to the My Ag Life Daily News Report. I'm Lori Boyer. From all of us here at the JCS Marketing Team, thank you for listening. (laughs) 